Welcome to The Hollow Point, your source for the latest guns, gear, and gossip, with your hosts, Rich Nance and Mike Barilla. Alrighty, welcome to the show. This is The Hollow Point. My name is Mike Barilla. I'm here with my co-host, Rich Nance. You know, we're excited for our first show. We're going to let you know who we are a little bit. We're going to talk to our first guest, you know, internationally known firearms expert, firearms trainer, Dave Spaulding is actually going to join us here in the studio, which is we're really excited about. So let's get on with the show. Say hi to everybody, Rich. Hello, folks. How you doing? <laughs> they can't hear or they can't answer. Oh, <laughs> uh, so uh, so Rich, let's uh, let's hear a little bit about your background. You know, I've heard all this uh, war tax stuff. I've heard guns and ammo. I've heard uh, a lot. So uh, let's see. Let's how did you get into all this stuff? Well, it all started in 1972 when I was born. Uh, it's kind of evolved from that. But no, I've been a police officer for about 20 years, and uh, my background has been martial arts ever since 1985, which Mike was not even freaking born. No, nope. Were you born? I was not. Son of a gun. The Karate Kid came out, and I wanted to be Daniel LaRusso. And so I started... the good guy or the bad guy? He's the good guy. Ah. And so I started martial arts, and it was a long journey where I learned a lot of stuff. And I always thought I was going to be a martial arts instructor. Well, I realized later in life that they don't make any money. They don't have any insurance. So I decided that maybe I could be a police officer, and that would be also kind of fun and not really at all related to being a martial arts instructor. Where'd you start in, uh, as a police officer? Yeah, I work at an agency in Northern California that's a mid-sized agency with about 65 cops or so. But uh, in 2001, matter of fact, on 9-11, uh, I got to kind of combine my two passions, which is uh, law enforcement tactics and also martial arts when I went to a two-week uh, defensive tactics instructor course. And um, I really took to that because a lot, of, a lot of the police officers that were there, that was their first exposure to arrest and control techniques and stuff, whereas I had been doing martial arts my whole life until that point. So it, it kind of gave me a head start. And um, much later, I became a firearms instructor, like in 2005. Uh, and I I was never a big gun guy. Like my, my exposure to firearms was as a result of being a police officer. And I always viewed a firearm as a tool, not unlike a club, a knife or, or anything else. And even having been a gun writer for eight years or so now, ultimately that's still how I view guns. I mean, some are cooler than others. They have different bells and whistles, but I want to get right, gets right down to it. It is a tool. And, uh, what I've done with, with my company, Wartac, is I've combined uh, my love of, of firearms with my love of, of training and empty hand type skills. And I really specialize in close quarter work, everything from uh, weapon retention to counter weapon tactics and, of course, extreme close quarter shooting. So it's, it's really taken off well. Um, somewhere along the way, I became a gun writer. Uh, <laughs> I have no journalism background or anything, but uh, I was writing for officer.com and lawofficer.com and I was making a whopping $150 a month as uh, the defensive tactics columnist. So I'd write about like how to handcuff people or whatever the topic was uh, that particular uh, month. And that led to a chance meeting with, uh, with an editor and, uh, and I started, I became a gun writer and, and, and you know, I, I've had a ton of opportunities since then opportunities to meet some very influential uh, people in my life, guys like uh, Dave Spaulding, uh, Kelly McCann, Masada Yub, Kyle Lamb. I mean, all these guys I really looked up to 
uh, having a chance to meet them and in some cases work with them has has really allowed me to to grow as a uh, as a trainer. And uh, it, it's been a crazy ride, man. I, if you would have told me, you know, ten years ago I was going to be a gun writer, I would think you were smoking crack. But <laughs> here we are. So now, uh, are you traveling and training? Are you doing yeah. local stuff? Yeah, a little of both. I mean, I specialized in teaching only law enforcement uh, for quite some time. Uh, I teach just about everything under the sun at the agency where I work. Um, anything related to tactics. Uh, but this last year, uh, I really focused on training civilians, and uh, I've I've traveled I think eight times uh, throughout the country and and put on various courses. That's travel in addition to the television work I do, which by the way, oh that's right, is only because uh, the company that owns um, Guns and Ammo and some other titles that I write for also own the Sportsman Channel and the Outdoor Channel. So what what shows did you host? You know, I hosted uh, Personal Defense TV, and that was I believe in two thousand. 12 and 2013 and then uh, since then I've co-hosted a show called handguns and defensive weapons personal defense TV was really uh, a pretty serious show uh, dealing with uh, uh, real uh, issues uh, uh, handguns and defensive weapons uh, is uh, my co-host uh, Jim Tar and I uh, ribbing each other and uh, it, it's kind of like a, a variety show it has a little bit of tactics a little bit of nonsense a little bit of competitive shooting stuff so it's it's quite it's quite a lot of fun. It's 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 been really popular. I've also uh, uh, done quite a bit of work on guns and ammo TV over the years, which uh, which was really really a lot of fun too. Shooting Kyle Lamb's drills with him is quite humbling. Oh, I bet. So <laughs> like I can rock a carbine. Yeah, you can, and not to mention a pistol. But yeah. uh, it's it's been a really uh, wild ride. But uh, I'm thankful for it. I've I've met a lot of great people along the way, and what I'm trying to do now is. As I travel, trying to um, share uh, what I've learned uh, from from all these various people, and kind of added to what I already uh, believe to be true as far as training. And uh, I have five more years uh, as a police officer, and and what my goal is is to uh, uh, continue to build my training business to where in five years I'm a traveling trainer. As uh, crazy as that sounds, <laughs> yeah, not much uh, not much time at home in that uh, in that exactly. gig is there. Um, yeah, you know that. The, it's cool because you bring a lot of different angles to this, you know, from the, from the police angle to the, you know, to the industry reviewer to the TV. Um, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of, a lot of cool, a lot of cool opinions you can give about, uh, the topics we're going to be talking about for sure. And then we have you here for all the technical knowledge. Cause I'm like, this is gun, this shoots people. It'd be good if you have it. And you're like, you know, you know all the details. And I can make you so, tell you seven were made in 1973. It's funny because I've been a cop for 20 years and, and and I'm not afraid to admit that you're the guy I call when I have a question as far as gun law and stuff. So that's enough about my ramblings. Uh, a little bit about you, Mike. Uh, obviously, uh, I first met you as the owner of Tracy Rifle and Pistol. You also own Brentwood Rifle and Pistol. But you're also very involved uh, with a lot of, um, a lot of work uh, in favor uh, to promote the Second Amendment. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how it came to this point that we're sitting here together. Yeah, I mean, guns aren't just a, a business for me. You know, it is it, it is kind of a, a way of life. Um, you know, I, I started about man, six, seven years ago now, opening Tracy Rifle and Pistol. Um, just kind of came out of, I was actually in college going through the ROTC program, was going to be a pilot in the Marine Corps, had some injuries, you know, we... and. What's funny is there was a gun shop across the street from the um, from the school I was going to, and they were hiring, and I needed a job, so got there, and, you know, got the job, and kind of learned the industry a bit, and kind of had that as a, a fallback plan. 
luckily, you know, where I'm from here in Tracy, there wasn't really anything, uh, any good stores around. So I kind of was able to fill a market. Now, were you like a total gun fanatic at that point or no? Uh, actually, it's kind of weird. No, I never really, I didn't grow up with guns. I didn't, I, I was, I was never shooting as a little kid. Um, you know, every time I went to a carnival or something like that, that that's the first thing that I gravitated towards, but it's not, um, it wasn't a way of life for me before. So my parents were never really into guns. They're not anti-gun. I just, they never really, um, they, they, they weren't in, that that wasn't something that they were into. You know, they, they immigrated here from, um, from Poland uh, in the 80s. and just didn't, you know, just didn't have that history. So I kind of latched on. I, I loved everything from the get-go. Uh, you know, came up here, started uh, the first shop, and then... Um, since then, we've uh, we've moved, opened up an indoor range. I uh, opened up the second store, Brentwood Rifle and Pistol. Somewhere along the way, actually pretty early, um, I got to meet some of the, the, the top people in the Second Amendment fight here in California, you know, Calgon's Foundation guys and all that. Um, there, there really is a big fight to save gun rights in California. I know it looks like we're losing now, but, you know, we have a lot of court cases going, a lot of... We're, we're fighting as hard as we can, you know, with the, with what we're giving. Um, so I started, I think it was in 2013, 2012 maybe, started an organization called uh, Cal FFL, which I'm the president of now. And that's kind of an industry organization. So dealers, manufacturers, we're all kind of uh, fighting together to keep everything going here in California. That's a tough battle. It is a tough battle. You know, they're, 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 it never looks like we're winning, but... There are small wins here and there, and hopefully we can build on those. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of tuned into that stuff, uh, even nationwide. You know, the fights going on around the country. Um, you know, obviously, I, I do a lot of shooting myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's what I wanted to touch on. Like, I mean, uh, there's a lot of gun stores that I've been into over the years where they're kind of content both as entrepreneurs that their doors are open. When people want to buy guns, they'll come in. I know you're a lot more proactive. I mean, you're out there like we discussed, working to, to promote the Second Amendment, working to uh, build your business and everything else. But what's interesting is also you're passionate about firearms and and not just from a technical standpoint, but I know from being your friend for these years, you're very interested in tactics. And that that's kind of interesting. Um, usually someone is either at one end of the spectrum or the other. Either they're kind of a, a technical guy or they're into tactics. And while you're uh, much more uh, fascinated by, I think the um, the hardware uh, side than I am, you are also uh, you're also you know getting to be quite the tactician from all the different uh, trainers that you've learned from and everything else, and that that's kind of an interesting uh, combination. Yeah, you know, I what's the point of having these guns if you don't know how to use them? I guess is the the sure. best way to. Uh, to, to sum that one up, but uh, absolutely, you know, and a big passion of mine is also historical guns, you know, uh, everything from the late 1800s till, you know, 19 to World War II type, especially military um, stuff. Uh, that That's a huge passion of just learning about it all the time. Um, there's there, You can always learn more about that stuff. Um, as far as on the tactics side, yeah, you know, I, as soon as I started the shop, I pretty much started taking as many courses as I could you know, financially and time-wise take. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to train with some of the biggest names out there. You know, you got the the Chris Costas, the Vickers, the, the Proctors, and whoever else I'm missing. You know, it, I've taken a ton of classes and and lo- learned a lot of cool stuff. You know, um, I know plenty of people that'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars on guns and never actually practice or never actually 
take a training class, never learn anything, you know. Um, and I think that's kind of it's kind of a waste to be dead honest. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads into the kind of the premise of this podcast, which is like it's not exclusively about guns, it's not exclusively about gear, and it's not exclusively about tactics, but it's going to combine all those elements, and we're also going to talk about kind of the latest trends and the latest news, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. Absolutely. You know, um, we're we're going to build upon this show. You know, we have a lot of cool uh, cool affiliates already, cool companies that we're going to be working with. You know, one, uh, oh, NorCal Steel Targets. That's a great place if you want uh, any kind of AR500 steel that, that can withstand anything. It's a good price. You know, right now they kind of set us up. If you use uh, the promo code HOLOPOINT, you get 15% off your entire order. Um, so nice. we'll be working with a lot of cool companies. Uh, we'll be doing act after action reports. We have a lot of a lot of classes coming up soon that we're going to be uh, that we're either hosting or going to um, that we'll talk about. We have a lot of uh, uh, really prominent industry professionals and trainers that we have lined up. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to interview them. You know, sometimes by phone, uh, by what Skype, yeah, and also sometimes uh, here in studio. Yeah, so. we're we're lucky enough we can't. Uh, I'm not going to announce it quite yet, but we're lucky enough where we have some of the top trainers uh, actually joining us here in the studio uh, sure. in the next couple of weeks. So that's going to be that's going to be really exciting uh, to pick their brains, you know. And we're going to be actually taking a lot of uh, listener input too. So if there there are questions that you want to ask us or uh, have us ask guests, you know, our uh, we're really reachable. Our emails podcast at thehollowpoint.net. Uh, you can just send us questions. You know, we'll try to get as to as many uh, listener questions as uh, as we can. Alrighty, well today we have Dave Spaulding in studio with us. We're lucky to have him. He's a, a world-renowned firearms instructor. So uh, welcome, Dave. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. All it took was a handle of Crown Royal and a few thousand dollars, and we have Dave Spaulding in studio. Well, perfect. Your point being what? <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, let's start off with this. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company, what you do, what, uh, what makes you different? I'm not sure anything makes me different. I think I'm proud in the fact that I'm fairly traditional, maybe old school, for lack of a better term. In an age where people are trying to differentiate themselves by being flashy or tactical, I teach what I believe works. Now, let me, let me, let me preface that, Mike. I teach what I know works. Uh, the... the uh, Tactics and techniques that are part of my doctrine are 36 to 40 years in the making. It's a lot of research. It's uh, talking to a lot of people who have been in armed conflict. It's a mixture of my own personal experiences and 30 years of law enforcement, including a wide variety of assignments. And it's uh, based on sports physiology and motor learning performance and I know the stuff works because I have probably a hundred plus former students over many years of law enforcement training who have been involved in, in gunfights that have gotten back to me and said, Dave, what you did works. It, 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 it saved my life. So I, I know this stuff works. It's not some flashy, trendy kind of stuff. This is, this is proven tactics and techniques. Dave, I know that uh, before you started you started teaching, that you actually spoke with a lot of people at the VFW Hall that uh, that had seen armed conflict firsthand. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Rich, it started in 1976 when I went through the basic police academy when 
everything that we did in the firearms block of instruction was directed towards passing the PPC or the practical pistol course. Sure. Qualification, not training. It, it had all kinds of really neat stuff like laying prone at 60 yards. Now, keep in mind, we were shooting target wad cutters, which left the muzzle at 600 feet per <laughs> second. So we were literally lobbing, lobbing these things yeah. in like mortars, right? <laughs> Area fire. Shooting barric- <laughs> not, not use of cover, but barricade shooting at 50 yeah. yards and hip shooting at 15 feet. And it was all directed towards passing this course of fire. And so I left that block of instruction, which was 40 hours long in 1976. And I stopped in to visit my folks. And my dad was a veteran of World War II. He uh, drove Higgins boats at Iwo Jima. So I'm sitting there talking to him and I'm telling him about this. And I, I, I made a statement that literally changed my life. I said, Dad, I wished... I could talk to somebody who had been in a gunfight. Dave, let me stop you real quick. Did, yeah. did you know at that time that the training that you're receiving, uh, did you doubt how realistic it was? You know, in my gut I did because, you know, I knew nothing about gunfighting. What I knew about pistol craft came from 1960s television. Mm-hmm. And if you see some old episodes of The Man from Uncle or Gunsmoke, you realize I not only did I not know anything, but I was probably stunted in my knowledge. You know that our co-host Mike was not even alive when Lethal Weapon came out, right? Uh, he's, that's so sad. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really knew nothing about it, but something in my gut told me that what I was being taught wasn't relevant. So I went down, you know, my dad didn't even look away from the television set. He says, son, go down to the VFW hall. There's lots of gunfighters. You know, World War II had only been over 30 years. Those guys were younger than I am now. So well, I went... I went. There's a lot of people younger than you are now. Rich. Well, but that, that actually brings up a good point where yes. my generation can't do that. There, there, there's not many of those vets left, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a whole... Yeah, but you've got all of the young guys that are coming back from the war on terror. Oh, wait a minute. What did we call that now? An overseas contingency Something operation like that, or yeah. some bullshit. All those young guys that are coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan have wonderful lessons to, to, to teach all of us. It's just that in, in the 1970s, it was the World War II generation. Well, but that's not, that's not an organized war where you have two countries, you know, uniformed armies fighting each no, other. No, it makes so it, it even, a little different. It makes it even worse. You don't have an army that's uniformed. Now what you've got basically is a counterinsurgency, a counterterrorism operation. I actually taught... Uh, uh, a lecture series at a Cabela store one time. And I had a young army ranger that had just gotten back from Afghanistan. And he came up to me and he says, Dave, what really threw us off when we went over there is that they weren't wearing uniforms. We didn't know who the, the enemy was. I said, welcome to law enforcement. Exactly. We, we don't know. Exactly. You know, what do you get when you dispatch to a car? You know, it's uh, you know, yeah, the suspects a black male Vague and a white t-shirt and blue jeans. Yeah. Now go figure it out. Well, that's what that's what these guys are getting now. They don't really know who the enemy is. It's not defined. You know, Dave, to your point, as a, as a rookie cop, I work for Phoenix Police Department, and I'm on scene. I get dispatched solo because it's a cold call. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, you know a, a cold burglary. So I'm asking the standard questions. I'm at this apartment complex asking the victim these standard questions. Do you have any idea who might have done this? And he says, yes. And I said, well, who? And he goes, he's standing behind you. <laughs> So that was quite interesting. That's yeah, a wake up yeah. there. That right there is like, duh, oh, yeah. yeah, right. So, yeah. yeah, you never know what you're in for in law enforcement. Yeah. So, I mean, that, and, and so anyway, you know, my dad tells me to get under the Legion Hall, so I do. And I get sat at the end of the bar 
with a guy that looked to be about 412 years old. And he was probably in his early 70s. And he was a veteran of the trench and tunnel warfare of World War I. He knew a little bit about close quarter battle. Well, you know, we, we talk about CQB, but you talk to somebody that's digging a four-foot diameter tunnel, and as he's digging away with a trenching tool, he takes a scoop of dirt, and there's a German soldier. That's where the brass knuckle daggers came from that we all know sure. about. That's close quarter battle because these guys are, who wants to set off a pistol, let alone a rifle in a four-foot diameter hole? But it got me fascinated. And, and since that time, I've interviewed, interviewed literally hundreds of people, but World War I, World War II veterans, uh, Korean War veterans. Talk to someone at the Chosen Reservoir. And with the walls of, of Chinese soldiers running at them, ask them if they think the M1 Garand was the best battle implement ever developed. You know, you got an eight-round gun that goes bling, when it's empty, when you've got walls of people coming at you. It tells everybody that you're out. They would have told you that the M16 sounded like a hell of a good idea. But talk to somebody in Vietnam who actually shot the gun with a 1 in 12 rate of twist and actually saw it get deflected off a twig. They'll tell you that it sucked. Well, and it was the whole self-cleaning rifle uh, debacle yeah. You, you and don't all have that. to clean this. It'll, it'll clean itself. Hey, yeah. Dave, you're hitting on another good point right there. Yeah. The difference between hardware and software. And just to reiterate or for some folks that may not know you, uh, 2010 Law Enforcement Trainer of the Year. Obviously, you have a lot of accolades in your in your training career. Um, gun writer since, uh, I don't know, when did you start gun writing? I wrote my first regional article in about 1985 and my first nationally or internationally published article in about 88. Rich, it's yeah. your turn to make a joke about I wasn't born yet there. <laughs> I made the last one, didn't I? You weren't born in 88? <laughs> well, I was born in 88. Come on, I Mike. I guess that counts. What, Mike. were you in a diaper? Oh, for Christ's sake. I, I, I was, I was, okay. I was. Hey, can uh, I get it? Oh, thanks. There you go. <laughs> Dave, no, but seriously, uh, speak a little bit about hardware software, because I know as it comes to some gear, you're kind of like uh, very particular when it comes to knives and things like that, but I also know that you view all of this stuff as a tool, and, and, and really it's the mindset and it's the uh, it's it's what you're made of. It's your willingness to go into battle, which I know that you know because I know you preach that, and I've I've uh, been in the uh, front row uh, listening to that sermon several times. But I know that that's where you're at. But but talk a little bit about hardware versus software. Well, I guess the point that I I I, I like to make to people, especially in this day and age where everything is about hardware, is that how do you pick the hardware that works best for you until you either have a level of training or a level of practical experience that you know what's right for you? Well, what's your opinion on how, how important is hardware? It should supplement your training. Well, so I bring this up because I was in a, a class with another instructor where it was a 1911-oriented class, and you know everybody was talking about all these little details. I mean, curved or flat triggers versus round. Or, I mean, all these little details... And I'm not tooting my own horn, but I was showing up everybody, you know, every drill I was winning. I was doing everything perfect. And a guy in the class asked me, hey, what, what trigger are you shooting? Because I want to switch to whatever you're shooting. And I had no idea. I just picked up a 1911 and shot it. All right, stop. At this point in this training class, what was your level of training? What I mean, it was, was pretty high, relatively. You'd shot a lot of rounds. Yeah. How many rounds had that fellow shot? Probably less. 
maybe your hand was already tuned to working the trigger. Oh, I just picked up a 1911 for my collection. I had no idea what it was. I really well, the, didn't. Number one, the 1911 is the easiest gun to shoot. It's got a, a sliding instead of pivoting trigger. It only moves a quarter to a half an inch. You can literally tap the trigger on a 1911 and get away with it. I guess what I'm saying is, I don't, I don't, me personally, I don't, if you gave me a flat trigger versus a curved trigger, I don't think it matters. I no, think I can shoot it, either it one just matter. as effectively. That's the point I'm trying to make. Until you have a level of training or a level of experience, and you don't want the level of experience where you've actually been in a number of gunfights to know what you need to do. How many people have that? Very few. Well, so and it's, is, it's, a, is the shape of the trigger really going to make a difference? Let me that? think about it. No. <laughs> Did I? Should I say that again? No. I, I, I didn't hear you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have to do with your level of ability. Now, that's going to come from training. Understand, when it comes to motor skills, and that's where I, I, I kind of excel because I've got a, a, a physical education minor and I've had a lot of sports physiology and motor learning classes, and I've spent a lot of time because I was a former track and field coach. Track and field is this, is one of those sports where if you've got good technique, you can kind of narrow the gap between somebody that has natural ability and someone that doesn't because they have good technique. So I'm all about when don't don't interrupt me. <laughs> I'm all about good solid technique, but, but, doing it well. But uh, I, I'm old. Uh, if you interrupt me and I forget where I'm going, it'll be your fault. <laughs> So you, you've, I, I'm, I'm very much into the motor performance and the skill-related aspects. Uh, keep in mind, there are people out there that have natural ability. We all know that, whether they're playing soccer or shooting a gun. Skill, which is a learned, uh, learned thing, is something that comes from training. And, and most people don't have the level of skill, the level of training, to truly comprehend what they need to enhance their performance. They buy stuff off of magazines, off of gun television programs, off of podcasts like this Off one, of Rich's reviews. Off of Rich's gun reviews. I really can't bust him up, though, because I've, I've got about 1,400 published articles, so I really can't bust on He's, Rich. How many do you have, Rich? He's a huge whore compared to me. <laughs> about 12. I'm only, well, I'm only a minor whore. He has whore. about 12. So... Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, you know, most people don't have that level of training to really know what they need to buy. And until you have that level of training, you're better off keeping it real basic, real simple. And then once you get that level of skill, that level of advanced knowledge, then buy what is what works for you. So, and that's the point you were making is I know exactly what I want. It's because I'm 40 years into this. Sure. I know what I want and what I need. So does it irk you when someone can spend, you know, three grand on the newest, fanciest AR, but won't spend $500 on a class? Let, let me think about it. They're an idiot. <laughs> okay. They'll, they'll, they'll buy all this kind of equipment and then nothing to train themselves to do it. And then when they go out to the range and they can't, they're like, wow, I've got the greatest, latest whiz bang thermonuclear or whatever. And now I can't shoot. Gee, why? Because you're an idiot. That's why. Until you learn how to do it, all of that gear means nothing. And Mike, I don't want to bust on you because you got a store. 
Oh, I, I don't care. I, I try to host as many classes as I can for people, for my customers, and for everybody else well, because I think that's the most important thing you can do. And I've been in your store, so I know it's educational-based. You try to get people the stuff that they really need, not necessarily the stuff they want because what they need and what they want is not necessarily the same. Absolutely, thing. brother. I've heard you say it before, just because you're bored with something doesn't mean you're good at it. Oh, no one wants to do the basics. No one wants to do the fundamentals or, as you refer to them, the, the essentials. essentials. Everyone wants to do some whiz-bang, high-speed shit. But Have you I noticed know how many instructors are now calling them the essentials and I'm not getting any credit for it? You know wait, wait, wait. You, is, know, you know I'm the one that developed that, right, Dave? Yeah, that's right. Is, okay. is an essential hanging upside down shooting an MP5 with a gas mask on? Uh, uh, no, essential is absolutely necessary necessary according to mr webster and that's not hanging upside down or repelling from a black helicopter or wearing a chest plate or a helmet or any of that kind of stuff well i think we already touched on this earlier but like i said the the essentials or the the, the fundamentals like you say the the advanced classes are just using the fundamentals in advanced situations that's the way i've always said it and i think that's the most important point well, bruce lee in 1968 said it better than anybody advanced skills are the basics mastered and I've never seen or heard anything that made me believe that it was different than that. I get hot when you quote, when you quote Bruce Lee, Dave. <laughs> Bruce Lee's worth quoting. I love him. Yeah, he was way ahead of his time. Oh, here comes the top offer, Dave. Wait a minute. That's enough. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. We're talking Crown Royal here, which is my favorite beverage. I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Uh, what do I, but we digress. Yeah, what were we talking uh, about? No, Dave, but in all seriousness, with Bruce your training, Lee. people specialize with certain things. And yeah, this is, this is uh, associated with Bruce Lee on the same topic. But people tend to be, you know, I'm a, I train people for competition. I train people for whatever it is that you train people for, home defense or whatever. Everything that you do is geared toward a person using a firearm as a weapon to protect themselves or someone else. And I think that's really why a lot of the stuff that you teach it may not be the flashiest stuff. It may not be the funnest uh, drill that someone's ever done. I don't know. There was a bunch of baby oil last time. <laughs> That's true. But it is something that they that they really need. And um, talk a little bit about that, Dave. I, and I know that also you have a unique way of, of uh, relating to your students. Um, and I think that they appreciate the fact that you're your approach is a, is a no-bullshit approach. I mean, a lot of people couldn't get away with... with talking the way you do, for instance, in some of the classes, um, which I'm quite offended by, by the way, but, uh, but somehow you pull it off. It may be because you're, you hurt you're, my feelers. You, you could be like a Yoda like figure, or it could be that, uh, that they just really are buying into it. That's but it's really creepy in all seriousness. Like, it's Yoda's a cartoon character. You realize that, right? You know, I, I don't really try to be offensive to my students, but sometimes I just can't take the bullshit. Um, what I teach is long proven. It's not the latest flashiest stuff. I'll give you an example. When, we, when, we, when it comes to ammo, people always want ammunition because, you know, I focus on handguns. I don't teach carbine classes. I don't teach shotgun classes. I focus on the handgun. Whether it's pistol or revolver, I don't care. But people always want what's the best handgun load? Well, you know, the one you got in your gun when you need a gun. Sure. But they want specifics. And when they say, well, what about the 38 Special? I'll say, 158 grain all that hollow point people will say that's an old load yeah man it's been killing people for almost 50 years time and time and time again yeah man but that's old technology listen to what i'm telling you kid it's been killing people for 50 years 
Why do you want something that's new and unproven just because it's new technology? But it's shiny. It's shiny and it's pretty and all that. You want the stuff that's been working time and time again. And that's the point I'm trying to make to you, Rich, as far as my classes go. It may not be flashy. It may not be cool. It may not be all the fake. But the stuff that I teach you has worked for year after year after year. And I'm not talking about once or twice. I actually had a young fella come up to me one time and says, hey, listen, I don't want to know about the history of gun fronting. I want to know about the science. And I'm like, kid, you're an idiot. <laughs> I've there, heard that. There, I've been on the receiving end of that a time or two. There's no science to this. It's I feel too like si- that's going to be a button. It's too situationally dependent. I mean, so many, very few gunfights are the same. When we're talking about the science, we're talking about the, the study of human motions, you know, sports physiology, you know, motor skill performance. That's the science. But when it comes to actually deploying a gun and using it against somebody, it's too situationally dependent. It I'm varies ask- too much. Now, wait a minute. Because I'm old, I'll lose my thought. And I think I just did, so go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to take a sip of that crown. Uh, the question is, Dave, Rich, I understand that you're, you're talking an idiot. about... I understand that you're talking about tradition, but it's not as though that... It's you, not tradition. But, but, well, no, but what I'm saying is you're not changing for the sake of change, but also you in many aspects are on the cutting edge because you're not just going to accept some doctrine because... Uh, a great firearms instructor from the past advocated this. So, so in other words, I guess what I'm trying to say is when you decide whether or not to stray from the mainstream, it's based on one of the things you talk about a lot, which is physiological efficiency, which is a term that I think maybe originally you borrowed from me, but that's a whole other topic. Physiological so, efficiency actually came from Bill Bowerman. Do you know who he is? He probably learned from me as well. He he and a young fella by the name of Steve Prefontaine poured a rubber compound on Bowerman's Nikes. wife's Nikes. waffle iron and created a, uh, a created a company called Nike, which is just a little tiny thing now. I was at a track and field coaching conference about 1974, 1975. Yes. He was running in stone shoes. Yes, yes. And I, I still wasn't alive. I asked him. I asked him a question about, basically, it was about track and field technique. And he presented the terminology, were, physiological efficiency. Were you running in moccasins? Actually, Nikes were not even around yet. It didn't come along and probably to about 77 or something like that. Um, but he, he coined the frame physiological efficiency to me in, in, in the lack of human motion. Basically, you only moved enough to accomplish the task, and it was cracked. Now it's called biomechanical efficiency, and looking up the definition of biomechanical, I, I got no problem with that, but trust me, it was called physiological efficiency from sports physiology in the mid to late 1970s. Bruce Lee called it economy of motion. It's, it's nothing new. Yep. It's, you know, the least amount of time, effort, and energy expended to achieve a desired goal. Even though sometimes it doesn't look as cool. No, it doesn't look cool at all because it, if it, literally, if, if it feels like you're hardly moving, you're probably doing it right. And in this day and age where we're doing all kinds of whipping around and flinging magazines and shit like that, that really looks good. Every time you add something to something, it takes time. Hey, if my mag doesn't hit guy five down five lanes over, I'm not doing it right. Let me let me think about that. No, all right. Push the magazine button, 
If it doesn't fall out, don't fling it. Do something that looks like this. Because you know it's going to come out. We'll have never, an illustration for the audience later. Dave. Never give up a known for an unknown. Dave, one of the things... Do what you know is going to work, not what may work. One of the things that, that this relates to is scanning. And, and I know, having taken several of your courses and talking to you at length about this, a lot of people do kind of the scan kata, where they're doing something that looks very dynamic. They're turning their head very quickly in one direction or the other but you know as well as I do that they're not actually seeing. They're just going through this range drill. Well, what's, uh, what's funny about that nauseum. is last, you know, about a year ago from now, we took uh, Dave's basic class out here. And uh, <laughs> so one of the things we did was we, we kind of played jokes on each other where once we, you know, not everybody's shooting the drill at the same time. So the people on the back line would, you know, like present, not their actual gun or anything because that's not, not good. But they, they had would, knives and stuff. They had knives or they, they, they would do an aggressive motion flipping or something. Flipping each other off. Flipping each other off. All, all kinds yeah. of stuff. And, and for the that's most rude. part, no one noticed. No one really noticed. They were looking back there, but they weren't paying attention to what they were seeing. Well, if you understand how the eye works in true optics, the, 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 the ability to truly scan and see, it takes time. And that doesn't happen in the turn of a head. That's just range masturbation. I, I, I apologize, but that's, I don't fucking care. That's exactly what it is. It's range master basin. When you two, your turn, heck you're looking cool, but you're not seeing diddly squat. And let me tell you something. If you're not seeing, then you don't know the threat is coming. And I get all these people that say, well, Dave, you know, you've got to take this, you got to do this and you got to take this threat to the ground. And before you can scan, you got to make sure he's out of it. Unless you're attacked. Sure. And then all the range crap you want to do where you turn your head and you take him to the ground makes no difference because Johnny Joe Jitbag over here decided he was going to attack you before you were ready. Hey, Dave, talking about seeing, um, I know that you takes have... Takes time. You, but, but I'm going a different direction with this. You've developed some sites with, uh, with Ameriglow that are sort of different than most of the stuff that's out there, and that's based on the way that we see. I mean, that's what you developed those based and, on. And we Talk a little bit about that. We didn't you? know that until we sat down. Rick Callahan and I from Ameriglow, we wanted to come up with a site. We wanted to come up with what we thought was the best. Was this in the bourbon room? No, but he, Rick and I have been there. <laughs> Um, as well as no. Rich and you and Arthur <laughs> from Ghost and got, you know the mayor of Phoenix. Who knows? Anyway, um, we wanted to come up with what we thought was the best combat site. So what we did is we went to an eye surgeon. Now, this guy's not a shooter. The reason we did that is because you get shooter's bias. Someone who's into guns always has biases. Weaver versus Isosceles, nine versus whatever the case may be. So we, we picked a guy that was just fresh. And the first thing we did to him is we described to him how you sight a pistol, equal height, equal light, you know, straight edges, 90 degree angles, all that kind of stuff. And we showed him some common pistol sights. And the first thing he did when he looked at three dot sights is he looked at us and he says, no, wait a minute. You're telling me that you want to line up straight edges with straight edges and these top edges with each other. 90, yes. Why are you putting round things on them? It's, and I never heard the phrase before term, excuse me, term it's optically confusing. And I'm like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I knew not, that. Not like you use yeah, your sights I, anyway, I, right? I knew that, right? You know, so it, it, he told That's us, what he I says, feel like when I look at old pictures of you when you have hair. It's optically confusing. I liked hair. <laughs> I did. I liked it a lot, but it's gone. Anyway, um, so that's when we came up with the cap sight. We, we came up with a, with a colored front sight that was square, putting a square in a square. When you think about lining up your pistol sights, the whole concept of equal height, equal light, it's straight edges. It's a square and a square. So, gee, novel. Let's put a, a, a colored front sight square in a square rear. And any, talk, any tips on where people can get those? Ameriglow.com. Well, the Spalding version you can buy on my website, handguncombatives.com. But there's actually three versions of the cap sight. Now, when we originally came out with the cap sight, I wanted the Spalding version. I wanted a colored front sight in a black. But we got a lot of the beta testers that said, I, I would like a way that when I'm doing a long distance shot that I ensure that I have proper alignment. So we put the little line at the bottom. So basically you took the front square and turned it into a rectangle optically. That's the original cap sight. Finally, I talked Rick Callahan into doing my version, which was a black serrated rear, which is a quick flash front sight. And we called that the Spalding cap. And then we wanted, we got law enforcement agencies. They wanted the traditional rear tritium sure. beads. So there's a cap LE and that's got a, that looks actually different than the other two because it kind of, it swoops back for a longer sight radius because the cap and the, and the cap spalding are basically concealment sites. They're as small and compact and close to the bore line as we can make them. Quick acquisition is the point there. We want them, we want quick acquisition, but we want minimal in profile. Dave, talk about the color that you chose for those. Well, I know there's a couple different versions. The color but. that we came up with was called Safety Chartreuse. And actually, Arthur from Viani from Ghost put us onto this. They had done a uh, research study for the Miami-Dade Fire Department. There was concern that the fluorescent orange that's on all the traffic cones and everything, that people were getting too used to it. They had seen it so much that they weren't paying attention to it. So they came up with this safety chartreuse, which is that bright lime green that you're seeing now on hunter's vests and traffic cones and traffic signs. So we went with that color, but we also had a lot of people that wanted uh, the fluorescent orange. So we offer them in both, whatever your eye picks up best. And that is a good point because some people see certain colors better than others. Absolutely. So. You know, if you're younger, older, you know, it's, it's you know, the cap site is a good sight system be wanted to work for you so whichever one works for you hey i don't care i don't make a dime off of them so you know we did it strictly for good guys and gals to better sight their handguns quickly in conflict dave tell us a little bit about the different courses that you teach it may be like a brief description of each or of even them. i mean even more on point you know we're rich and i are actually taking your advanced course tomorrow what, what what are the some of the some of the things we can expect to do tomorrow the advanced course is the only one that's not verbally visually descriptive in title i can't come up with a good title for it the reason being is what you guys are going to start tomorrow is my you, movement class. you could call it the hollow point that's a badass title <laughs> i like that uh no <laughs> anyway, um, you know, it's, it's movement forward, rearward, laterally, diagonally. It's all kinds of different movement, but what do I call it? Movement pistol. Uh, it's the one, it's the one thing. So I call it advanced combative pistol, but combative pistol is my foundational class. That's how, that's where I teach the essentials. It's an abbreviated version of my handgun combatives book. 
uh, the pistol craft essentials book from, or a video from Pantio and the handgun combat is video from Paladin press. It's my foundational class. I read that book by the way. It's a good book, isn't it? Yeah, you can't read. I made about halfway through it. Maybe, and maybe you fell, fell asleep. Well, it's the same way as your book. I, I went about halfway through it and decided I needed toilet paper. So no problem. I never made it past the forward of my book. Ah, the forward was awesome. Anyway, uh, <laughs> my classes when I when I when I created the training company, I did. I wanted to get away from level one, level two, or advanced, basic, super advanced. Yeah, that kind of ties you into a certain typographic exactly because i only had two days because i found out very quickly people wanted two-day classes they want to do them on weekends instead of the three or four day formats that i would have liked they're 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 tough to tough tough to fill you know people have to work people have it's a lot harder to fill and they and they want to use their vacation time for family events exactly dave's learned a lot in the last few years i remember when he first started his company he's like i think i'll teach 12 courses a year how many teaching a year now 30 He's picked up a thing or two, I guess. Yeah. They, they all filled up. I, I'm not filling them up, up, up as fast as your friend Chris Costa, <laughs> but I, I am filling them up, so that's, that's good. Anyway, so I decided that what I would do is I'd focus on skill sets, on skills that I, that I knew people would need. Advanced is movement. Need, not necessarily want, but need. Not necessarily what they want because they don't get to repel out of helicopters. But critical. Oh, I was really looking forward to that. I know. Critical. Not even in advanced. I thought. What, I thought that's what the range fee was for. Yeah. Critical space is my extreme close quarter shooting, kind of like what Rich does, but better. And but not only extreme close Jeez. quarter shooting, but moving in and around people who are non-hostile. Something you don't get in a lot of classes. You just lost all credibility with me. Reduce light is you know shooting in not only reduced light but inconsistent light which is really the problem because your eyes don't adjust um i I have my adaptive course which is one-handed shooting use of cover things like that vehicle combatives which is basically a citizenized version of a class i developed for narcotics officers where you, you you shoot in and around vehicles now how often do cars get shot in that class Every second. No, actually, in the first day... Intentionally, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the first day, we do a lot of simulated stuff where we're shooting vehicles, and you're, we're teaching you how to move without muzzling other folks. And then day two, it's all done inside cars. What's, what's Out of most, cars, into cars, through cars. What's your most popular course? Wow. I would have to say that it's an even split between combative pistol, my foundational mm-hmm. class, and the advanced class, which is the movement. Now, do you require someone take your combative pistol no. before they take a more... If they know how to run a gun, okay. if, they, if they have the foundational skills, and I don't care if they get it from a Chris Costa or a Travis Haley or a gun site... But they have to show you that they've had some type they've of... They've got to have some validational train, skills. Sure. They can't show up saying, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just learning how to shoot. Yeah. If they know how to run their gun... Like Mike did last year. No, I took a class with uh, an advanced uh, advanced 1911 class, and I think three of the, the people there had never drawn out of a holster before. Wasn't that pra- Frank Proctor? No, that was a Vickers one. Okay. The well, Proctor you know, one was actually really good. Well, really you know, good. Any of those would be fine. If, if the guy knows how to run a gun, he knows how to grip it, he knows how to work the trigger, you know, clear stoppages, draw from the holster, you can take any of my classes. If you haven't had those foundational skills, then I would like you to take either my essential pistol 
or my combative pistol classes so that you're kind of up to snuff. No, I, I asked Rich this earlier, but um, in a class when you, you know, you can really only go as fast as the slowest student there on the line. Uh, be, the, how, weak, the weakest link. Exactly. Concept. So right. how, how do you deal with how do you deal with that? I guess is the, is the, as an instructor. The weakest link. The only way you can deal with it is to deal with the weakest link. Um, I give that individual a lot of attention and I try to goose them forward as fast as I can. Quite frankly, sometimes Mike. Do you say gooses people? Gooses. Pushes them along. You're a dipstick. You know that? <laughs> you can't be goosing students in California. Yeah, I don't think that flies here. That's right. I forgot we're in the land of fruits and nuts. I apologize. You push them along the best you can. Sometimes you can't. In the time frame we got, sometimes you have to say, step off. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I've never had that problem yet. Usually I can communicate with people. I can get them to move along. You know, I find in being verbally, visually descriptive and understanding motor performance and adult learning theory, I can get people up to snuff pretty quickly. So... Whereas the problem could develop in all the years I've been doing this, I haven't had that problem. Maybe I'm lucky. Maybe I'm gifted. Maybe I've got a good handle on it. But I can usually get folks who are lagging a little bit to catch up pretty quickly. Okay. That, that, you know, that's awesome because I, I don't do a lot of instructing, but I, I someday no. want to be able to teach people. It, it's, it's that that relationship you have with your students that's so important to convey that information. Well, I agree. I mean, I want, how do I say this? I'm vested in my students. They're very, very important to me. They're not like this commodity that I throw off to the side. It's really important to me that they feel like they're getting a worthwhile experience from this. Um, the reason that I keep my classes small, they're, they're, they're no more than 16, which is two relays of eight. Allow it's me. It's not that small, but yeah. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, two Rich relays knows of what eight. is small, so. Yeah, eight, Rich knows what's small. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There we go. There you go. <laughs> anyway. Anything, anything with two digits is not small. <laughs> I want to give them as much individual attention as I can. That's important. So. Uh, you know, I, I work with each student. I want them to feel like they had individual attention from me. I, I don't want them to feel like they were one amongst, you know, 30 or 35 people who the instructor never got the chance to spend with them. I want to spend time with this person. Um, I, I'm verbally, visually descriptive. It's very important to me that when I say something, they comprehend it or I will say it differently hoping that I can and get them to clue in. Now, Rich wants to butt in here, and the reason he wants to butt in because he has no idea what I'm talking about. Alex Mix is on set dropping beer bottles. <laughs> may or may not have heard that. What does that have to do with instruction? I don't know. Rich is in his own world sometimes. This much. Zero. It has nothing to do with it, does it, Alex? Absolutely nothing. Okay, yeah. Uh, students are important to me. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be 62 years of age. I'm not going to be doing this a lot longer. You don't look a day over 72. Thanks, Rich. When I finally step away from this, I want people to think back and, re and, and think they got a good experience for me. They learned something. Not with this kid. I don't want somebody's name on a tombstone because I dropped the ball. Absolutely. In all seriousness, um, 
that 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 is a prime motivating factor for for both of us as as law enforcement trainers and and also training You're a trainer? and also training civilians. I mean, you never want to, what's the saying? You never want the ghost of a dead cop to no, say that uh, absolutely not that uh, it was because of the lack of training you received. The ghost of a dead student to 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 haunt you. Um, I've been teaching cops since 1983 and, and armed citizens just in recent years, but I've buried students and it hurts. Yeah. It absolutely hurts. And, and, and I want to do everything I can to help these people prevail because let's face it, Mike, these folks can do everything absolutely right. Still get killed. Yeah. I, I saw something today that law enforcement officers, uh, being ambushed, it's up like 160 odd percent from last year. The, the instances of officers being ambushed, uh, because it's okay to to yeah. to do that because you know Black Lives Matter. Don't yeah. misunderstand. I'm not being a racist here, but everybody's life matters. Sure. And to allow these people to kill cops because they're angry, it makes yeah. no sense. But the flashy, trendy, cool-looking stuff doesn't necessarily work. The stuff that's been around, Mike, let, let me be honest with you. Let me throw something at you. It's absolutely true. Probably everything we need to know about combative pistol craft was invented between about 1840 and 1940. And everybody that says they come up with something new or they've got the latest, greatest craze, they're full of crap. We may tweak it a little bit. Well, I think the biggest tweak to that was putting two hands on a pistol. Well, and, and that was already done. You know, people talk about Jeff Cooper and the Weaver stance. If you look at Jack Fitzgerald's combat handgun book from 1929, you'll see him in a two-handed Weaver stance. That was not new. The whole idea of push-pull. If you read the writings of Wyatt Earp, if you could get two hands on a gun, they said it was a great idea, but you got to remember, they had the thumbcock pistols. Well, you just, you had drinks with them, didn't you? Isn't that how you learned well, from we, them? Well, he and I, Morgan, Virgil, Wyatt, now we used to hang out in the porch and talk about it. You know, if I'd have had a Glock at the OK Corral. <laughs> you'd, you'd done all right for yourself. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's not the tool. It's the mindset, it's the determination, it's the person that's actually willing to get in the fight that makes them formidable, not the gear they got. You know, let's face it, you get somebody like a, Bat Masterson's even a better example. You get somebody like a Bat Masterson with a cult peacemaker that's got the wherewithal and the willingness to actually step up and thumb cock that gun and put it in your face and pull the trigger. You get some of these young whiz-bang fucktards with their Glocks and their extended magazines, they're going to lose because it's the mindset. Mindset is defined as a set path based on reason and intellect. You get somebody like a Bat Masterson who has a set path that he's going to kill you, he's probably going to kill you right now regardless of the weapon you got. Dave, talk about the importance of being both fast and accurate and which is more important? Well, it's, it's combative pistol craft is actually defined as the balance of speed and accuracy. You know, I had a very, very famous firearms instructor and I'm not going to tell you who it is because I greatly respect him. I just think was it was, me. I said a very, very famous firearms instructor. Okay. He told me, he says, look, don't worry about being fast, just be accurate. That's just bullshit. 
you got to understand that the typical pistol fight, and this is based on 36 years of research, not somebody that decided to come out today and be a pistol instructor and come up with a bunch of bullshit. This is 36 years of research talking to hundreds of people. It's over in a couple of seconds. Three, four, five seconds. That's why I always carry three mags on me. Yeah, you're going to have the chance to reload. Good for you. Twice. Yeah. We argue about whether you should combat or emergency or tactical reload. You're not going to reload. Are you crazy? It's going to be over. You're going to shoot what's then. in the gun, and then you're going to beat the hell to death and with it. And you're going to beat him to yeah. death with it because it's going to be fairly close and pretty quick. I, I got to tell you, I was watching a video here on YouTube. YouTube is the channel of the stupid. Wait, you know how to use YouTube? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, that, I'm not that old. <laughs> and and, and he, was, he was being interviewed, and he says, listen, don't don't listen to that law enforcement stuff. Concentrate on 25 yards and back. That's where it happens. What an idiot. He's just ignored the history of pistol crap. Well, uh, he might've been looking at the sniper engagements. I'm guessing <laughs> back in the days. Sounds of, about right. Back right. In, Ed Masterson, yards, Ed Masterson, Bat Masterson's brother, his clothes were set on fire from how close the pistol. I mean, from, that's, that's crazy. We all realize it's like 15 feet and in. Well, this is the day of the active shooter. Well, just go on Google crime statistics and see how many people are attacked in the Walmart parking lot at the length of a car versus the active shooter. And Dave, it's not just cops. I know you're big on pointing this out because people think, well, I'm not a police officer. I'm not going to get that close to a suspect. I'm not going to let a suspect that close to me. But as you're quick to point out, are you never in line at a supermarket? with someone behind yeah. you are you never in an or elevator with someone or anywhere else exactly what do, you, what do you think when the guy mugs you or robs you in the parking lot he's going to stand back at 25 yards and say hey throw me your wallet no no it's 21 no. 21 feet isn't it that's and, and you know dennis tooler does not like that 21 foot drill he'll tell you like 50 feet's better but you know A they're going to they're going to get close enough that they can accost you without being heard around the parking lot so we're talking six yards and in that's where combative pistol craft takes place, six yards and in. And anybody that disputes that is, let me think about it, it's coming to me. They're an idiot, okay? They're an idiot. You need to shoot. You need to shoot back at 25 yards and all that. You need to know how to deal with that. But the idea that you're going to take a 100- or 200-yard pistol shot, those folks do not understand judicious use of force in the reasonable man doctrine. So what you're saying is that the WARTAC close quarter pistol course is absolutely critical for people to have. Your class in close quarter gunfighting was the second best class I've ever had in all seriousness. All I seriousness. You. I love you. The first best one is my critical space pistol class. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because, well, it's my class. Okay? Well, you don't have to shoot it. Well, his class is more about jerking and pulling and playing with guns, and mine's more like shooting people. Though, in all, in all seriousness, pulling Rich's chain, very good class. It's, it's, it's the best close-quarter pistol class I've ever had, and I've had a few close-quarter pistol classes. Rich, it was Thank you, brother. very well done, buddy. Much very well done. Much appreciated. All right, well, I think we're going to start wrapping up here. On a serious note, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, this was right. supposed to be ten minutes long. What uh, happened? We're, we're we're right about there. Your <laughs> wife was so excited she started reading a book. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, 
<laughs> Thank you, Dave, for, uh, for, for coming out here. You know, we're both excited to uh, take that advanced class tomorrow. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a ton of fun. Mike, thank you for having me. I'm really pleased that I was one of the first guests you had. I'm going to, if you send me a link to this, I'll, I'll put it up on my uh, website, my Facebook. We absolutely will. And uh, once again, uh, Dave Spaulding can be found at uh, www.handguncombatives.com. You know, all his classes schedule, uh, you can re- uh, join classes right on there. Uh, thehollowpoint.net. Check us out. Facebook.com slash thehollowpointpodcast. Uh, we want a ton of emails. You know, it's podcast at thehollowpoint.net for any questions for future guests or for us, and we'd be happy to handle those. So uh, thank you. Cheers. <laughs>